This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. All right. Well, as kids are heading out, uh, for those of us who remain, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. And if you're following along in the Bibles in your rows, it's page 864. It's also printed for you in your bulletin. Luke chapter 8, starting at the beginning of the chapter all the way down to verse 21. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he, told, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, New City. My name is Brian Ferry. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. When I first looked at our passage for this morning, Luke 8, 1 through 21, that Josh just read, I thought... This is kind of all over. There's like several stories bunched into one. It starts with a few verses about people who are following Jesus, specifically several women who are named by name. And then there's a parable, and then an explanation of the parable, then the little story about a lamp, and finally that bit about Jesus' family and who that is exactly. It's a lot. There's a lot. 
to cover. If you've got your Bible, if you look there, there's like five sections according to the section headings there. So it's a lot to cover all of that this morning. But going over the passage, I noticed there does seem to be a thread that ties it all together. And we see it in verse 18 where Jesus says, take care then how you hear. Another translation puts it, consider carefully how you listen. It's got me thinking about how it's a bit ironic that I am the one talking about hearing. I sort of have a one-two punch that makes me, shall we say, not the best listener. First, when my family moved to Cincinnati, when I was 10 years old, I started attending an elementary school with no walls. The school was built in the mid-70s when this open education movement was a thing. It was very short-lived. Pretty quickly, someone uh, realized that it maybe wasn't the best idea to put hundreds of kids in one building with no walls between the classrooms. Um, A few years ago, they actually did a story about this open school movement, about one such school in Washington, D.C. on NPR. And the school, like mine, had put up all kinds of bulletin boards and cabinets and partitions, kind of like what we have in our lower level, to kind of retrofit walls back into the building. But it was still really noisy. So from that NPR story, it says, historians say that noise is pretty much why this open school design died out. Bottom line, too loud, too distracting, teachers hated it. Imagine that. As a kid, I don't think I had a feeling about whether I liked it or hated it, but what I did learn was how to tune out other noises and focus when there's other stuff going on around, which one might think that's a strength, right? Except focus can really easily turn into tuning everything else out also known as ignoring people when they're talking to you. So it's quite possible for someone to be calling my name, standing right near me, calling out my name, and I just don't hear them. I've tuned everything out, thanks to the open education movement. So you add to my open school training where I can just ignore people, years of playing drums and rock and roll, uh, and when I do hear, I struggle sometimes with the details because of uh, tinnitus that I've got, a constant ringing in my ears. So I'm kind of wondering if Josh assigned this text to me on listening as kind of a subtle jab or some mockery. Um, In any case, here we are. So listen up. We hear this challenge, take care how you hear. This little challenge from Jesus really is the crux of the whole section in verse 18. Consider carefully how you listen. The fact that Jesus has to tell us to consider carefully how we listen tells us that we have a hearing problem. If listening were automatic or easy, we wouldn't have to consider it. If it was easy to hear, then Jesus wouldn't be telling several stories about the difficulties and pitfalls that come when we try to listen. Here's Frederick Buechner putting it another way. He says, when a minister reads out of the Bible, I'm sure that at least nine out of ten of the people who happen to be listening at all hear not what's really being read, but only what they expect to hear read. And I think that what most people expect to hear read from the Bible is an edifying story, an uplifting thought, a moral lesson, something elevating, obvious, and boring. So that's exactly what very often they do hear. Only that's too bad, because if you really listen, and maybe you have to forget that it's the Bible being read and a minister who's reading it, there's no telling what you might hear. Jesus knows it. Beekner knows it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know it. There is a way to listen without listening. We can hear without really hearing. Some of you are looking side-eyed at your roommates or your kids or your spouse. You don't need convincing that they can hear without hearing. Sometimes the case in point is right in our house. Listening, truly hearing, is not automatic. 
I suspect that's why Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 down there in verse 10. He says, They are ever seen, but never perceiving, hearing that they may not understand. All right, so let's get into it. We'll take a look at the context and then each of these little stories or episodes and then wrap it up. Last week, Pastor Mike walked us through the awkward dinner party that was hosted by Simeon, who didn't yet understand the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Now, last week, Mike mentioned that Simeon's name kind of means hear or listen, related to the Hebrew word Shema. It's interesting that just before this section on listening, we have a character missing the point of Jesus' demonstration of forgiveness, a character whose name means listen. But here the dinner party's over, and now Jesus is out on tour, we might say. One commentator called Jesus' ministry a continuing wandering ministry. So Jesus is out wandering, not aimlessly, without purpose, since we know, as J.R.R. Tolkien taught us, not all who wander are lost. But he's traveling through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. It's clear here that word has gotten out about Jesus. We're told that a great crowd is around him. But more than the great crowd, we see specific folks named. We see the 12, that's the 12 disciples, and some women. These women, we're told, have been healed of evil spirits and of infirmities. And Luke names them. First, he says there was Mary Magdalene. Mike mentioned Mary last week. There is a lot of extra-biblical lore about her, but really most of what we know is right here. She was healed by Jesus, having seven demons cast out of her. We also know from the Gospels that Mary was the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus. All of the Gospel writers say so. So we have Mary. We also have Joanna. We're told she's the wife of Herod's household manager. So she's connected somehow with the government ruler. Pretty powerful person. We don't know if her husband came to faith or if she's a widow or, or what, but she's out here following and supporting Jesus. And there's a third woman named Susanna and then many others, many other women. These women... We're told we're following Jesus and they were the ones who were bankrolling Jesus's ministry. They provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. Early 19th century Anglican John William Bergen observes this. He says, no woman is mentioned speaking against our Lord in his life or having a share in his death. On the contrary, he was anointed by a woman for his burial. Women were the last at his grave and the first at his resurrection. To a woman he first appeared when he rose again. Women ministered to his wants. Women bewailed and lamented him. A heathen woman interceded for his life with her husband, Pilate. And above all, of a woman, he was born. And we might add from our text this morning, women of means supported his ministry. We have the 12, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, many other women in a great crowd. And Jesus starts our instruction then on how to listen with a parable. It's a famous parable. It's what's been called the parable of the sower, Though some have said it might be better called the parable of the seed or the parable of the soils. The word parable just means a story. Some have said a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly lesson. Literally, it just means to put one thing alongside another. Jesus loved to teach in these kinds of stories. In any case, I don't need to spend much time explaining the parable because one, Josh just read it for us. Two, in the reading, in verses 11 and following, Jesus explains the parable, so we've already had it read and explained. And then third, if you've been around the church at all, you've probably heard this one before it's on the greatest hits record. But to quickly recap, the, the word of God is the seed, the sower is the one who shares the word, and the soil is the heart of the one who hears the word. It's quite obvious from the parable that it's preferable to be good soil. There's hard hearts in which the seed never takes, and there's shallow soil in which the seed sprouts up quickly, never takes root, thorny soil 
in which the seedling gets choked out, and then good soil in which the seed thrives, grows, and bear fruit. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Or as the famous folk singer Woody Guthrie says, them's got ears, let them hear. So how are we to listen? How are we to have these ears to hear? Take care how you listen, right? There's no telling what you might hear. Well, first, we need to receive. What is it about the good soil that makes it good? Look at verse 15. They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Hear it, okay? That's fine. But we know we can hear without hearing. How do we hear it? He says, hold it in an honest and good heart. Hold it and be honest with it. I imagine this receptive posture of like um, a child holding something precious in their hands. I think of our girls when they were little, we had um, some backyard chickens and the way that they would hold the little baby chicks in their hand, just receptive and precious and, and loving that thing. That's kind of the image that comes to mind. Commentator Matthew Henry describes the good heart. He says it's a heart free from sinful pollutions and firmly fixed for God and duty, an upright heart tender heart, a heart that trembles at the word. It's an honest and good heart, which having heard the word, understands it, receives it, and keeps it, as the soil not only receives, but keeps the seed. Another commentator said, the condition of the heart determines the receptivity. So really, hearing is a matter of the heart. So why are we listening? Are we listening for amusement we listen to God's word to feel or look smarter? Are we listening for ammunition to feel right or vindicated? Are we listening with cynicism or pride? Are we listening to evaluate the validity or veracity of the sermon or the Bible study or the lesson? What is the condition of our heart when we hear God's word read and taught and preached? That is, are we receptive and open to what God might want to teach us in his word? As Beekner said, if we are... There's no telling what we might hear. Now, when I was thinking about this this week, I thought of the expression used to describe Nathaniel in John 1, where in the old King James Version, Jesus says of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Love that little phrase, in whom there is no guile. It's a great phrase, and maybe I thought of it because we don't usually use that word or talk like that these days. But to be without guile means to be without deceit. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know Nathaniel had just ripped on the hometown of Jesus, Nazareth, saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? But Jesus appreciated the honesty, the forthrightness, the guilelessness of Nathaniel's heart, his openness, his receptivity, his desire to be near Jesus and to follow him. So we receive when we approach God's word and listen without guile, honestly, without deceit. Now, it's worth noting here that while we can and should check our hearts, and it's our work to do, that ultimately it's the work of the Spirit of God that allows us to hear and understand. Being able to hear and receive is itself a grace that we can't whip up on our own. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So that's probably the first step in receiving, right, and becoming a good soil, is to cry out to God to give us ears to hear. And that's a prayer that God delights to answer for us. When we hear the scriptures, we pray that the Spirit of God would give us understanding for ears to hear. A great prayer to pray in that regard is 
from Psalm 39, where the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the prayer version of the posture that many of you take during the benediction, right? At the end of the service, we hold our arms out, and we receive in a posture of receiving. I've shared this illustration before, but the image really strikes me. There was a, a Sundar Singh was a late 19th century, early 20th century Indian man who began following Jesus after being averted from suicide through a vision of Jesus. He came to faith, and then he took off as a sadhu, an itinerant holy man, preaching the gospel of Jesus around India and eventually all over the world. On a visit teaching here in the States, he said this, Once when I was in the Himalayas, I was sitting upon the bank of a river. I drew out of the water a drenched, beautiful, hard, round stone and smashed it. The inside was quite dry. The stone had been lying a long time in the water, but the water had not penetrated the stone. It's just like that with the Christian people of the West. They have for centuries been surrounded by Christianity, entirely steeped in its blessings, but the master's truth has not penetrated them. Oof. Now, if we want to be receptive, we need to be much more like a sponge than a rock. A great example of this is when I was attending a men's retreat an overnight thing with my campus ministry as a kid and I remember the director of the whole ministry sitting there taking notes during the talk of one of the younger staff members it may have even been a student uh, you know you think what's this guy doing taking notes right and even even then I thought to myself that's it that's a good heart a teachable heart good soil and if we're receptive like that there's no telling what we might hear so first how are we able to listen we receive secondly we shine Now, that might seem like an odd answer to the question, how do we listen? How do we listen when we shine? But look at verse 16. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. This is where we get the song, This Little Light of Mine, right? Even if you didn't grow up in church, you might know this one is adopted by the civil rights movement. You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, hide it under a bushel. No, right? Yeah, I'm going to let it shine and so on and so forth, right? This little light of mine. The idea is quite simple. Those who hear, who truly hear, are lit lamps. The light has gone on for you so that you will be a light and a lamp for others. We hear In order to shine. Jesus expands on this idea over in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, You are a city on a hill. Light cannot, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, right? People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a stand, and it gives light to the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, if it's dim and you need a little light, you grab a flashlight or you turn on the flashlight on your phone, you're often then faced with stuff that you didn't see when it was dark. You see things that you didn't see and it can be kind of ugly. When it's dim and you aren't aware of all that's there, maybe there's like dirt you didn't notice or a pile of dirty laundry or something on the floor uh, or dust bunnies or worse, like you turn the light on and you find some giant bug or a critter in the dark. Reminds me of those cartoons that I watched when I was a kid, like Scooby-Doo, where in the dark all you see is the character's eyes. You know what I mean? And then until someone, like, lights a match, and then the room lights up, and you see, like, all the monsters or whatever in the dark, and then the match goes out again, and you're left with their eyes. That's kind of what happens when we receive 
And when we shine, Jesus says it in verse 17 as the message puts it, we're not hiding things. We are bringing everything out into the open. There's an exposure that comes with the word of God. When light encounters darkness, sometimes it isn't pretty. Right? Sometimes the light hurts our eyes when we're in the dark. Sometimes those in the dark don't like the exposure that happens. But it's how we see. Right? If, we, if we shine, there's no telling what we might hear. So we're to listen, we receive, we shine, and thirdly, we apply. And this brings us to the last part of our passage for the morning, a little story about Jesus and his family. Right, I'll read it again for us. It says, Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You see it? Jesus is saying that to really hear, we must do. That, I think, is James's point when he writes, Be doers of the word and not hearers of only deceiving yourself. If we just hear the word, but don't do it, if we don't put into practice and live out what we hear, if we don't live according to the kingdom of Jesus, we're deceiving ourselves. Right? Unlike Nathaniel, we are with guile, not without guile. James continues, this is in James 1, by the way, he says, for if anyone is hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you see the absurdity of James's metaphor here? To hear and not do is like looking at your face in the mirror, turning around and forgetting what you look like. That's absurd, right? Now, we might look at Jesus's words back in Luke 8 and think that it's a repudiation of his biological family. But we know from the whole story of Jesus that this is not the case. Jesus' mother was with him until the end. His brothers went on to be instrumental in the development of the church. So this is not a rejection or repudiation of biological family, but it is an inclusion and an invitation into a broader family of those who obey God. It's an extension. It's an and, not an or. And many of us have had the experience of having family members who don't believe and they think maybe we're a little bit off our rocker to follow Jesus. And if that's the case, Jesus is saying here that even if your bio family doesn't get it, there is a family in which you belong. The church is a family, a family who tries to hear what Jesus says and do it. You belong in this family. You belong here. And over the years in ministry, I've often heard the complaint from folks in a class or, or somewhere that the study isn't deep enough. Have you ever heard this? Usually the gist of the complaint that it isn't deep enough is that it isn't heady enough, that there's not enough theology, there's not enough cross-references in the minor prophets or whatever. And of course, there is real value in going deep into theology and doctrine, but there's also a kind of depth that is often neglected, I think, because in many ways it's more difficult, and that is depth in doing orthopraxy, right practice. Listen to how theologian J.I. Packer explains it. He says, hearing means more than just being within earshot while the message of God is read aloud or recited or explained. Hear, in its full biblical sense, implies attention, assent, and application to oneself of the things learned. It means listening with a firm purpose to obey and then doing as God's word proves to require. 
I know I've mentioned this before, but as a kid, I loved the cartoon G.I. Joe. And always at the end, they end with a PSA about eating your vegetables or not playing in old refrigerators or something. And they would always say, uh, but that happened a lot in the 80s. People got stuck in refrigerators. The, uh, they always say, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Right? And that's always how it ended. And I kid you not, I was like in my late 20s, and I finally figured out that the second half of the battle is doing. So the PSAs didn't really uh, click for me for a while. But knowing is only half the battle, right? To know, we all know this, to know what you have to do is only half. You actually have to do the thing that you know to do. That's why Jesus is saying when we take care how we listen, we need to listen so as to apply or do what we hear. One of the best ways for this to happen is to work it out in community. Read the scriptures and talk about how to live it out in dialogue with others. That's why we put so much emphasis on our community groups. Now, these aren't Bible studies per se. We're not pouring over the biblical texts and mining it for every nuanced nugget. Instead, we're asking, how do we live this out? How do we apply God's word to our everyday lives? How does this passage form us for mission? Less what does it mean and more what does it mean for us? We talk about how to live out our faith and apply God's word in our community groups. We talk about how do we do it at school and in our workplaces, in our homes, among our friends. How we live out our faith when sickness explodes into our life, when we find ourselves hurt by others, when we encounter situations where we don't know what to do. And yes, we workshop how to live out the kingdom in our extended families and those situations and relationships that are tough. See, to listen in such a way as to apply is depth. That is going deep. In fact, it's probably a more faithfully accurate depth according to what the Bible wants from us. Not just head knowledge, but a living, active, applied faith. So take care. Pay attention to how you hear. Receive God's word. Shine it and apply it. Well, quickly as we wrap up here, there's some rationale in here as to why we ought to listen in this way. Did you catch it? First, because there's a blessing involved. There's fruit that is born. Look back at verse 8. The good soil yields a hundredfold. A seed in general looks pretty tiny. Some of us pretty soon are going to start preparing the gardens and we're going to get our packets of seeds. And it looked pretty tiny and worthless and dead. But when planted, it grows and it yields and it really holds infinity inside of it. Because as it grows, it produces more seed that can be planted and produces more and so on. There's blessing and multiplication if we receive, shine, and apply. And Jesus said it's so much so that it's a hundredfold here. Secondly, Jesus essentially says, use it or lose it. Verse 18, there's another rationale here. He says, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. It sounds a little harsh, but it's really self-evident, isn't it? You know, think about maybe a language that you took in school. I took German in eighth and ninth grade, and I remember nothing but a few words and phrases. Or maybe you did some advanced mathematics. You didn't practice it, and it's gone. Or you, you know, played the trombone in the elementary school band. Or you get the idea. Or maybe you were an athlete, you know, and were pretty bulky and you've lost your muscles of atrophy, right? The same is true with our faith. We get this. If we live it out, if we apply it, we're told we will gain more. And if we don't, it'll atrophy. Use it or lose it. And then finally, as I already mentioned, Jesus says, if we take care in how we hear, we find a family in the church. 
mothers and brothers, fathers and sisters united around Jesus and his kingdom. So if you'd like some homework this week, you can read Psalm 119 and read it slowly. Take the whole week. The whole psalm is an extended meditation on God's word of how to listen to it and receive it and shine it and live it out. It's also the longest chapter of the Bible, so you can read it this week and then you can say you've read the longest chapter in the Bible. Well, as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask some diagnostic questions for us to think about. So it would kind of be our closing prayer. So maybe bow your heads, close your eyes. If you'd like to, I'm going to ask a question and just give us a few seconds to consider it, and then we'll come to the table. So consider how you listen. Ask yourself, how am I responding to God's word in my life? Is my heart hard, shallow, or rocky ground, or am I deeply rooted in the grace of God? Are pain and pleasure distracting me from the work that God wants to do in my life? What am I doing to shine and help people hear the gospel? like the worthy women who supported Jesus in his public ministry. How might God be calling me to receive, shine, and apply his word faithfully in my life this week? You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.